Good morning. Welcome to the gathering. Happy Father's Day, fellow fathers out there. Welcome to the gathering. Thanks for spending this day with us. It means, it means a lot to us, and I hope there's something here for you as well. A couple announcements this morning. Uh, last week, we announced our um, matching campaign with Mosaic. Uh, we were trying to raise $5,000, and we had uh, a donor reach out to us and say, we'd like to match that. We would like to match that. Uh, well, I'm pleased to announce that we've already hit that. We've already hit $5,000, and we got two more weeks. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So um, I was talking to our friends this morning, and they said, let's, let's blow right past it. So what if we did it again? What if we did 5,000 more this week? I think that would be pretty cool. And so um, if you weren't here, we, we are raising money to help Mosaic with their transition to their new resale store location off of M139, the old Value Land Thrift Store. So if you have any, uh, any treasure to share, or even time and talent, they could use that from us um, and so that they can continue their mission to spread grace and love 
in our community. So a couple ways to do that, you can go to storylinechurch.com, follow the links to the give button there, and when you get to the giving page, there will be a drop down that uh, you, can, you can choose Love Changes Lives, which is, uh, which is our campaign here for that. Also with Love Changes Lives, if you, want, if you would prefer to give a different way, you can grab one of our decorated mason jars and fill that with your spare change throughout the week and bring that in next week, um, and we'll, we'll put that money towards Mosaic as well. Other than that, if you're, if you're interested in helping out to make this happen on Sunday mornings, we'd love your help. If you could fill out a, an info card, uh, and drop that in the giving box, just let us know you want to help. Uh, that would be great. Um, and then my last announcement this morning is we are, uh, we are going to be blessed again by our friend Kesia this morning, who'll be singing a song that she did, she, she did earlier in the summer. We had just had so much, so much positive um, energy coming from that song that we wanted to do it again this morning. So if you give it up for my friend Kesia, who's going to sing uh, Bigger by Beyonce. If you feel insignificant, you better think again. Better wake up because you're part of something way bigger. You're part of something way bigger. Not just a speck in the universe. Not just some words in the Bible verse. You are the living word. You're part of something way bigger. Bigger than you. Bigger than me. Bigger than the picture they framed us to see But now we see it And there ain't no secret No Understand that truth about that question in your soul Look up, don't look down, then watch the answers unfold Life is your birthright, they hid that in the fine print Well, take the pen and rewrite it Step out your estimate and step in your essence and know that you're excellent rise the spirit is teaching no i'm not just preaching i'm taking my own advice let mama let you know mama's still trying i can't get no days off i don't get no days off truly i'm feeling it and i have say and think twice i'm trying to be a good wife it's still really hard, I can't lie, but I promise you I will fight, so we'll fight. If you're feeling frustrated and you're sinking, I'm jumping and forgiveness is key because we're fighting something way bigger. You'll never lose, we are winners. I'll be the root, you'll be the tree. Pass on the fruit that was given to me. Legacy. We're part of something way bigger.
let love be like water. I pour into you and you pour into me. There ain't no drought here. Bloom in your actual powers. I'll be your sanctuary. You just don't know it yet. You just don't know it yet. No matter how hard it gets, you got my blood in you. And you're gonna rise. You're part of something way bigger. Well, you're part of something way bigger. I'll be the root, you'll be the tree. Pass on the fruit that was given to me. Understand that truth about that question in your soul. Look up, don't look down, then watch your answers unfold. Life is your birthright, they hid that in the fine print. Well, take the pen and rewrite it. Step out your estimate and step in your essence and know that your excellent rise. The Spirit is teaching, no, I'm not just preaching. I'll take my own if you feel insignificant. You better think again, better wake up because you're part of something way bigger. You're part of something way bigger. I'll be that root, you'll be the tree. Pass on the fruit that was given to me. Legacy. Oh, you're part of something way bigger. Wow. We could do that song every week as far as I'm concerned. Dang. So good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together, and happy Father's Day. Now, I wonder if any of you see this the way I do. Okay, this is my little theory on Father's Day. Seems a little bit like an afterthought to me. I mean, let's just be, can we be honest, right? I mean, Mother's Day, like, come on, we get it. Like, dads, we understand. We get it. Moms are the best. They're the greatest. You gotta have Mother's Day and you gotta get it right, right? But dads, I mean fathers, I mean what, what do we really want? I'll tell you the answer, nothing. That's what we want. We want nothing, maybe, okay, maybe no Brussels sprouts for, for dinner, maybe an extra bowl of ice cream, maybe an hour longer to watch the game. I'm just spitballing here, okay? These are random guesses, all right? But um, did you know that Mother's Day was invented in 1907? 1907. Now, if I were to ask you, well, when did Father's Day start? I mean, it seems kind of obvious, right? You would think maybe the next year. You would hope, right? It was 58 years later, guys. 58 years it took for someone to come up with Father's Day. Oh, my gosh. And when we, one government official was asked, um, why did it take so long? Here was his answer. No one asked. I guess no one thought about it. That's the definition of an afterthought, people. So happy Father's Day, guys. I read about that last week and laughed out loud. And then I thought about this journey that we're on together this summer through the book of Luke. 
and just how much we rarely like truly consider all that Jesus is inviting us into. And I think if we're not careful, like dads, we can kind of take him for granted, like overlook this all-encompassing, the totality of the gift that he's offering us right here and right now. But in this book of Luke, written by this man named Luke, who's an outsider, he is not a, a Jewish person, he's not with the ink crowd, he's this outsider writing to insiders, Luke seems to be making this case over and over each week as, as we look at these different snippets that Jesus hasn't just come to like save us when we die, to escape this earth into heaven, that, that um, he's out to do something much bigger than that, much, much bigger than that. He wants to change everything, like as in the world, life, our lives, and us. That's bigger. See, the life of faith, living in and living out the grace of God, doesn't have to be, and it's not supposed to be, an afterthought. We saw this last week as Jesus invited his first followers to come after him and to follow him. And, and one of the first things he does is with a man named Peter, and he totally reorients this man's relationship with himself. And Peter leaves behind a boat so full of everything he ever wanted that it's literally sinking. So he, Peter leaves behind his sinking boat and he accepts Jesus' invitation to follow after him. And now immediately after that story, Luke tells us this, uh, immediately after Luke tells us that story of a psychological transformation of how Jesus wants to write our relationship with ourselves, he turns to another encounter where he is revolutionizing, where he's writing our relationship with one another. And so this is what Luke records in chapter 5 of his book, and this is verses 12 through 15. This is what the Bible says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, like we said last week, the miracles of Jesus are never about the power. They're always about the love. And we see that again here in this encounter. Jesus healed by touching him. Now, I'm not saying that he healed the leprosy by touching him. What's happening in this encounter is much, much more profound. It's much bigger than that. Jesus didn't need to touch him to heal the leprosy. And we'll see this again next week, um, that Jesus healed people all the time without touching them. So what is going on with this touch? That's the question that I want to look at. What is going on with this touch? Why did Jesus touch this man with leprosy? See, Jesus once, he healed someone who wasn't even in his presence. Another time, he healed a blind man by spitting, this is true, spitting on the ground, making mud, smearing it on the guy's eyes, and then when the guy washed the, uh, the mud off, 
he could see. Now, it wasn't a magic trick, and it wasn't some ritual that Jesus had to follow. The miracle wasn't the power. It's always the love. So Jesus healed that man. Here's what we need to know about that quick story. Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath. Making mud was against the religious rules. And so Jesus, for no reason other than to stick his finger in the eye of religion, made mud and, and healed that man that way. To prove this point, that religion is more interested in itself and its rules and its rituals than it is in loving people. And he would have none of that. And here with this man, not just afflicted with lep leprosy, but afflicted by religion, Jesus is doing it again. Now, I want to take a second to define the way that I'm using the word religion this morning. And if you've been around Storyline, you know that we use this word in a way that's a little bit different um, than it's conventionally used, okay? But I'm gonna, we're going to define it this way. Religion, any man-made practice or plan, rule or ritual that is designed to earn God's favor. Like, and the, and the bottom line of religion is always the same. It is man's attempt to control God. Like, okay, God, I, I'm going to do X, and if I do X for you, then you're going to do Y for me. Religion is like this cosmic transaction that we strike with God that makes whatever it is that, that we want from God, maybe it's rain or food or health or success, it makes that our real God, you know, the thing that we desire the most. And it turns God into this like bellhop in the sky, a magic genie, this thin, frail, brittle egomaniac who demands to be praised and flattered and obeyed and worshipped before he'll give it to us. That, that's what's happening with religion. And you know who sees that twisted transaction of religion most clearly? It's my atheist friends. It's people who don't believe in God at all. And I have learned so much from people like that because they don't feel this need to defend God or religion. So they just call the balls and strikes like they see them. And they see right through the religious games that people play and the cons that sometimes we can run with God. And their complaints and their objections always, they go something like this. What kind, you've heard this, what kind of God would, and then fill in the blank, with things like only heal those who pray the right way, or only love those who love him first, or condemn people to suffer for believing the wrong things, or enrich people because they believe the right way. And then they tell me, I, I could never believe in a God like that. And they're usually stunned when I absolutely agree with them. Me too. And then I also tell them, and that's why I'm so thankful, Jesus is nothing like that. Nothing like that. Which is what we're seeing in this healing, in this passage this morning. And we should make another distinction about religion between like the concept of religion, like we're using it right now, here, and religion as a cultural phenomenon, like as a way that people come together to bond in community with one another, as a way to deepen their faith, or as a way to maybe celebrate birth, mourn death, or mark rites of passage. Uh, you know, religion culturally, in that sense, 
for the most part, has been a great gift to humanity. But this religion as a transaction between us and God, with, as a way to control God, religion used as a way to delineate who is in and who is out, who's accepted and who's rejected. Religion as, hey, we believe the right way, so, you know, that makes us better than you. Or, or religion, um, like, because we're more holy or more faithful or more accurate than you, God's on our side and not on yours. That is the religion that Jesus is opposing here, that he's coming against. Because it's been a source of horrific and inhumane behavior between nations, among families, and within individual relationships for millennia. Almost always, it is, the, it is that religion that Jesus came to end, to put a stop to. The one that sociologically divides people and then, then just tragically adds this element of divine blessing to our tribal instinct to exclude, judge, and condemn. It really is sick and twisted. So when we keep all that in mind, like what religion is all about at its core, which is what can we do? What really, what must we do to please God, to somehow appease God, to somehow get him on our side? Well, then we begin to understand why the religious establishment in every society is so powerful and why they hate Jesus and his gospel of grace. Jesus was, and he is, destroying their racket. Is that me? Anyways, so this is what the religious people of Jesus' time were saying to themselves. If people believe him, if they believe what he is saying, we're finished. It's over for us. They, they saw it right away. And that's why the, it was the religious establishment that right away started to figure out how can, we've got to get rid of him. We have to finish him off. So as psychologically transformative as writing our relationship with ourself is, as we saw last week, what we see here gets to the core of what Jesus wants to do right here and right now. And that is he wants to cultivate a redeemed way of living. A redeemed way of life. It is a sociological transformation that he's after. Jesus is writing our relationship with one another by striking at the heart of transactional religion, which only deifies the divide between people. This is what the touch is all about. That is why he touched the leper. When Jesus touched this man, he wasn't just healing the man with leprosy, of leprosy. He was healing the rest of us of religion. And the devastating way it divides people from one another, supposedly with divine permission. See, the leper didn't need the healing nearly as much as everyone else did. That's what's going on. You see, when we, when we think of leprosy, we think of a skin disorder. 
But religiously, it was deemed to make you unclean. That's the word that's used in the Bible, unclean. So when Jesus heals this man of leprosy, he is re-entering this man into society, into community, because he's no longer unclean. That's why he says, go to the priest, show them that you're, that you're okay now. That's what he's doing. But here's the deal. He's re-entering this man into society that excluded him, not because he was contagious or sick, but because he was unclean, like he would spiritually contaminate the good guys. And the problem is the man is re-entering the kind of society that declares people unclean. You see, the, the leper is far from the only person who is in need of healing in this story. And the futile position this puts us in, if that's how we operate religiously, like who's in, who's out, who's clean, who's unclean, it's a futile position this puts us in with one another because it's this constant striving to be good enough, which is always a losing battle. A lost man singing for his soul, I saw it on
felt like that like this futility like there's nothing you can do you can't be good enough like felt like a leper basically I um unfortunately when I think of that I think of the first date I ever went on with my wife <laughs> we it was actually a double date and um we went to the movies with her best friend Jenny Evans and her boyfriend Brian Griffiths so Lisa and Jenny are they were all American volleyball players at UCLA and Brian played football for LSU, and I was a seventh grade history teacher. And so um, to say I was a little self-conscious about the situation um, is an understatement. I definitely did not feel good enough to be running with this crowd. And so we're waiting in line to go to the movies, and this is in Los Angeles. It's at one of these huge theaters. It's like waiting in line for Space Mountain or something. They're winding you back and forth. And so the line is moving forward and stopping and moving forward and stopping. And this one time when it's moving forward, um, we're, we're walking together, and I kind of stumble. So, like, I just, I'm nothing. I'm, I wish I could tell you it was a crack in the sidewalk. It was literally just one of these, okay? Like, nothing. Well, because I'm so self-conscious that I'm the only non-world-class athlete in the bunch, I think, you know, I'm just going to, like, try to make fun of myself. Like, like, oh, duh, look at me, the doofus. And so I start to pretend that I really tripped badly. And um, the problem is that as I'm kind of playing this up, I'm next to the edge of the sidewalk, and my foot gets here, and I do one of these things, you know, and that throws me in towards off the sidewalk, toward the landscaping, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm actually really going to fall, and so I'm doing everything I can to not fall, and so you know, these big steps that you take, and my arms are flailing everywhere, and I'm trying to save myself from falling, and at this point, I'm, I'm horrified, like, I am not going to fall, that's what I'm thinking, not in front of these people, I cannot fall, and so that just makes it worse and worse and worse, and I'm way off the sidewalk now. There's a huge long line of people right here, and there's this guy just having some kind of conniption fit off to the side, and it's, it dawns on me, like, I, I'm going down. Like, there's, I can't save this. Like, it's not going to happen, right? And so, believe me, I, I can barely believe this is true, but this is a true story, I promise. Just as it becomes obvious that I am going to fall, for some reason, I think this is a good idea. So instead of just falling and catching myself like this, this is the true part that you won't believe, okay? <laughs> I've only told this story a few times, and it's like, I can't even believe I'm saying this. I jump up in the air, throw my feet over my head. This is, the, this is true, okay? Do a somersault in the air, 
land on the back of, what the crap am I thinking? Land on the back of my neck and do this perfect roll and pop up in the air like this. True, I promise you this happened, okay? And there was this, and I'm not facing everybody, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll bet people saw this, right? Like, of course people saw this. And there's this strange mixture between like stunned silence, audible gasps, and laughter, right? And here I was, I'm just isolated. I'm just standing out there all alone, out from the crowd, embarrassed and ashamed, just totally confirming that trying to be good enough is a losing battle, at least for me, right? It was awful. I felt unworthy to be with the people that I most wanted to be with. That is leprosy. That's leprosy. And in Jesus' day, it was contagious. You could catch that from being with and around and liking and loving the wrong people. So to touch someone with leprosy is to do that to yourself on purpose. It meant that you were now with them. You are now on their side of this divine divide, supposedly. And that you too are now unclean. That's what Jesus did. Do you see the statement that he is making by touching this man? What he is doing to love him. That is the miracle. It's not the power to cure the physical ailment. It was the love. Jesus puts the divine on the wrong side. The not good enough side. The unclean side. And that, by the way, is my side and yours. Jesus is completely reframing. He's reorienting us sociologically. Like the way that we, he wants us. He is inviting us to look at and see and interact with one another. He is out to write our relationship with one another through grace grace not through religion not with trying to be good enough he wants us to drop that game you see religions are just they're purity pockets they are holy huddles because religion is all about being good enough it's all about being good enough about what can we do for god how pure how preserved how holy can we be in order to what and think about that in order to what? It's to earn God's what? Deserve God's blessings? And see, this is why Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to end them. He didn't come to start the right religion, the one that's more accurate. He came to put an end to the whole sick, twisted, transactional thing between man and God that we invent a million different ways to do. He is, he's blowing that up is what's going on here. I mean, think about how it is that we receive Jesus' salvation, the salvation that he's offering. We don't receive it through our power, like through the knowledge that we've accumulated or um, the spirituality that we've attained or the morality that we've achieved. 
isn't, it isn't through the good that we accomplish or the bad that we avoid. We receive the grace of God by simply admitting we need it. That's it. Just accepting our acceptance. It's, it's truly as easy as falling down. One, one of my favorite authors says, the reason that we receive the grace of God by faith is because faith is the only thing that's nothing. It's the only thing that's nothing. Because all we're doing is trusting that God loves us. That doesn't earn us the love. It's saying we know you already love us. It's, tr- it's an unbelievable thing. And now think about how Jesus achieved that salvation for us. That wasn't through his power either. That's not how it got done. He did it on a cross. He did it through surrender and giving and serving and loving. And when we see that in Jesus and about ourselves, both the way he achieves our salvation and the way that we receive it, it totally changes the way that we look at everyone else. No no matter their race, class, gender, politics, orientation, nationality, religion, maturity, or morality. Because we get it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. Do you see how this puts an end to religion? To, to the games that we play with, like being correct about your faith. Like that earns some kind of brownie points with God for some reason. Um, do you see how it puts an end to like the games or the cons that we run with God in these transactions and these deals that we make? It puts an end to purity pockets, holy huddles, to being saved as in being pure or preserved or protected from those who might make me contaminated. And all the pretending and pretense that we get stuck in because of that. In fact, Jesus' salvation is not really about being saved. It's much better understood about being spent. Just the opposite. It's about redemption. That's the word the Bible uses over and over again. It's about making all things new, including how we relate to one another. This is a revolution of how do we look at life and our lives and what we're supposed to do with them and what they're for. Jesus is inviting us into being sent and spent in a great cause on a critical mission to reach out and touch, to connect with everyone where they are, as they are, to put ourselves on their side like he did. It isn't about being good enough. It isn't about the power. It's always about the love. Always. To be saved in this sense, in the sense of being spent, is to be redeemed. It's a much richer word anyway. I mean, think about it. It's one with sociological implications. Think about how we redeem a coupon, okay? That the way we redeem it isn't to save it. It's to spend it. We redeem a coupon by giving it away in order to get back something that we value even more. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with his life. He's giving away by touching this man with leprosy, by coming onto our side of this divine divide that religion falsely makes. 
He is giving away his status, his reputation, his religious standing with man. Jesus is not trying to remain protected or set aside or preserved or pure. Not in the least. Not in the way that we define it. And certainly, I promise you, no one would have described him as holy. No one. Think about that. Jesus gave away all of that to be with those who've been cast aside, left out, left behind, and no, I'm not good enough. It's an unbelievable love story. The Bible actually says, in Philippians, it says this, he emptied himself. He emptied himself to be on our side, to redeem us including writing our relationship with one another. And that gives life a whole new meaning. The Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw talked about it this way. This is what he said, and I love this, this quote. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little cloud, clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got hold of for the moment. And I want, it to, I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. Love that vision. Love it. So here's the question that Jesus is leaving us with. Will we make some futile attempt to be saved by religion, by trying to get clean, stay clean, be good enough, or will we surrender to grace and be redeemed by grace and then spent for one another? Next Sunday, we're going to wrap up this section of Luke by considering how Jesus writes our relationship with God. But as we consider how Jesus writes our relationship with each other, it's worth remembering. The miracle is never about the power to be saved. It is always about the love to be spent. Enough to grow There are some 
Yeah, it's so good. Wow. Love it. So this is how I knew on the very first date that Lisa was the one. I'm standing there all alone in the landscaping, <laughs> right? Just excluded, ridiculed, being laughed at, shamed, very much on the wrong side. Not even close to good enough. And Lisa didn't miss a beat. She left the comfort of the crowd, walked right up to this leper, <laughs> and healed me with a hug. And everyone clapped. And that's what the world needs now. The grace of God that Jesus is offering us is not, and it can't be an afterthought. And it begins with what we're going to see Jesus doing next week, writing our relationship with God himself. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. Thank you so much that you have emptied yourself that you have reached out to touch us, that you have come to our side, that I pray that you would help us to drop all of the schemes, the games, the cons, all of the religious arrangements and deals that we try to, to make with you to be good enough, to make ourselves clean, and to just accept your grace. And then sense this deep longing to be spent on that great cause. Help us to see and look for ways that we can get on other people's side today and this week. God, we thank you for fathers and the way that they love us and um, provide for us and protect us. And I pray that uh, as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. Happy Father's Day.